Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. It's Lenny Murphy with another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Today, we are actually going to bring back an oldie but a goodie. It is a conversation I had with Steve Phillips, CEO of Zappy Store. And we are doing that because Zappy was the first winner of the competition, the first IIEX. And of course, it is the 10 year anniversary of IIEX and of Zappy winning the competition. And IIEX North America is in just a few weeks. So, bringing us up so you can listen to Steve's story from his own mouth about the growth of Zappy. Uh, and we do that to reiterate the value of IX North America, as well as the competition as a whole in bringing companies that are innovative and doing new things that are game changers in the industry to the fore. So enjoy, and we hope to see you in Austin very soon. Steve, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And happy new year to you. Uh, thank you. And same to you. So as said, Steve is the CEO of Zappy. Uh, a little bit of context on why this, this is interesting, particularly is Zappy was one of the companies that won the Insight Innovation Competition in our very first IEX event in Brazil many moons ago. And now, you know, what, gosh, what, seven years later? I think it might be eight or nine. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Well, the cool thing is it, it, it's been a unique experience, at least for me, to know Steve and Zappy from literally it was an idea pitched on stage with no real substance to now, you know, Zappy has become an adjective through the industry. Oh, we want to Zappy that, right? In terms of being really the driver of automation in research across the board and have grown to become a real powerhouse. And it's all Steve's brainchild. So it's fun to have that perspective from early stage. So welcome, Steve. Thank you, Lenny. And I, I should say that it's great to hear that it's being used as a verb. That was one of the goals when we launched to see if we could make our brand name a verb. We know that it's true within some of our clients and the more it's used as a verb, obviously, the, the better we feel. So that's very nice to hear. Thank you for correcting me from adjective to verb. That's been a long time since I took high school grammar. <laughs> but today we're really not talking about the zappification of, of research, uh, we are going to talk about some different topics that you've been leading the charge on that maybe have even greater impact than automation. And one of those has been that you're, uh, you're pledged to make the business net zero by 2026. So you want to talk about that? Let's just start off there. Sure. And I should say we've actually made Zappy net zero already, or at least at the basic level of net zero. And I hopefully we'll get a chance to talk through what is on, on a surface level, quite a simple thing. The more you think about it, the harder it does in fact get, um, and there are more complexities to it, but the critical thing we're trying to do, and this is not really a Zappy thing. This is, it kicked off with the MRS, which is the Insight Association of the UK. And increasingly, we're talking to other associations around the world of trying to make the industry net zero by 2026. So that's our goal. And we're hoping that other companies, and there are lots of other companies that are driving this with us, 
and helping us. And fr and frankly, it's not in some sense it's not even the companies; it's individuals within those companies who equally feel passionate about making the industry at stage one net zero and stage two uh, more sustainable uh, generally and our practices more sustainable. So that's what we're trying to do is is kick off a, a global movement within the industry. So the industry plays its part in making sure the planet is a good place to be living in 50, 100, 300 years time. That's a, a commendable goal. And if I recall correctly, this has been a topic that I don't know if we've ever, you and I have ever talked about in depth, but I've always gotten the impression that this idea of global sustainability and climate awareness and being good stewards is, is a topic near and dear to your heart. Is that correct? It is. I can tell you the, the origin story of how we kicked it off. So we at Zappi have been thinking about it anyway, and I can talk to you a little bit about what we've done at a company level to basically, there are three, three core things to do. First of all, you measure your carbon footprint. The second thing is you try and reduce that carbon footprint. And the third thing is that you offset that carbon footprint. So at a basic level, it's, it's those three steps. We as a company have been going through and are still going through becoming certified as a B Corp. A B Corp is a type of company and the idea is it balances people, planet, and profit. So it doesn't say you're a social enterprise. It says, yes, absolutely go for profit, make profit, but make sure you're balancing it with treating people really well and fairly, that's both internally employees, but also suppliers and people who work for suppliers. And then also that you're doing a good job in terms of helping steward the planet as much as you can as much as you can. So companies like Unilever are moving along these lines and some of the other big, big clients, but also it's obviously easier for smaller companies with less complicated supply chains, but it's a process we're moving through. I happen to be on one of the MRS boards, which is the company partner board, looking at how company partners within the MRS in the UK work and what products and services the MRS can offer them. The MRS had a, a diversity and inclusivity committee. I suggested stupidly that there should be a sustainability committee. As soon as you su suggest anything, it looks like volunteering. So I ended up, <laughs> so, so I ended up running it. And, we, and we, we copied a lot of what the MRS had done on the DNI pledge, which is come up with a pledge, get CAOs on board with that pledge, get them signing it, and then use that as a way of getting, get, getting the industry to move in terms of diversity and inclusivity. And what we wanted to do was do the same for sustainability. So we kicked this off about a year and a half ago in the UK. We came up with a pledge. We've started getting companies involved in that pledge. And it's all the way from people like Kantar have signed up down to some of the small mid-sized companies, GFK have signed up as well. So there's a lot of momentum behind it in the UK. And we're beginning to try and roll that out more globally. SMR are getting behind this. We're talking to the Inside Association in the US. We're talking to the Canadians and the Australians. The German Insight Association also hopefully will be taking this up. So slowly but surely, we're getting the associations to get behind trying to make our industry that we know and love as sustainable as possible. The obvious thing that we need is for other companies and frankly, other people to just join in that movement. And First of all, the simple thing is to sign up to the pledge. And when people have done that, there's a lot of help and resource that we can give in terms of how you go through that process. And that process, again, is um, first of all, measuring, then reducing, and then offsetting. You know, I already liked you, obviously, but 
Wow. I, I didn't know that you were playing such a key role in helping to to drive such an important initiative. So that is very, very cool. And it's cool that the MRS is, is driving that across the board. Uh, honestly, it's not something that, and maybe this is just my own personal bias. I'm already a very not just digitally first, but digital only worker and, and our organization, Green Book and other organizations I work with are so digitally focused. And I've never actually thought about, well, what does it look like to really be committed to this from a business standpoint? How else do we reduce that carbon impact? You, this is a first for me. I, I just have not given this consideration. So can you give some examples? You know, sure. So one of the things we've done in the UK is we've partnered with a calculator. Uh, so it's a company that does a carbon calculator. I have to say, it's once you've signed something like the pledge, you're saying you'll do it within five years, or it, we may even extend it, make it longer. Because it, it's not the simplest thing. It takes a bit of time, but you have time to do it. So when you start thinking about what your carbon footprint is, that there are multiple things that multiple aspects to it and degrees of um, complexity in terms of the of the, terms of the measurement. If you're a one man band, then it's a, a lot easier. It's a lot more simple. If you're a larger corporation, that will become more and more complicated, more and more complex. So the thing to do is, if you're a one person band, you can do it relatively simply. You can probably go onto the calculator, work out what the footprint is, think about where you'd offset, and then and then look to offset. And there are, we have some guidance about good offsetting schemes. In terms of when we were looking at our footprint. I would say, and this was 2018, 2019, uh, not surprisingly, most of it for us was travel. Then you start looking at the calculations of what the footprint of that type of travel is. We tend to fly economy, which is significantly better off than flying um, business class. So you start factoring in those aspects to it. The great thing about looking at travel is immediately it said to us, let's start making sustainability also an element in that travel decision. So if we're getting a group of people together, group of 20 people together within Zappi to, to brainstorm about a particular subject, in the past, that decision was made pretty much on the basis of how busy are people and what's the cost and what's the outcome of that get together. We would now include sustainability in that decision making. Now, it's not going to override it. It's not going to mean you can't go, but it is going to be Let's think about that as a factor in, a, in that travel decision. So that's one important step that we met, which is just, just thinking about it and thinking about travel. The next thing for us is frankly our AWS costs. Mm -hmm. So our data storage, we're, we're a data company. There's a lot of storage there. That is not true for a lot of other people. Energy consumption within an office environment is also a big thing. Um, moving to a green tariff is really important. Uh, so, so it's a process of going through the places where you may emit and in you, uh, sometimes you will and sometimes you won't, and then also trying to understand it, pur purchases of things that you do and what the common issues are related to them. We don't print much out, so we don't have an issue with that like you do, but there are people who create data tables for companies and obviously they do do a lot of printout and report printout. So it's, it's, a, it's an evaluation of your, of your business. It tells you, the calculator will tell you how much carbon you're emitting for each of the types of activities you're doing. And then you can look, start using that as a way of thinking, okay, how can I reduce this over time? I'm assuming that 2020 was a bit of a boon. Uh, 
right? It, it, it kind of forced the issue on multiple fronts to have greater a greater offset and reduction of the carbon footprint. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, hugely. I mean, for, for, certainly for professional services companies like ourselves, we're an international professional service company. And the classic profile of an international professional service company is travel. It's by far the biggest carbon carbon emission. If you are a domestic company, that's probably not true, except in the States where there's a lot of flying domestically. Um, yeah, it's, it's about that process of valuation and then reduction over time is the critical thing. So there's a lot of discussion in the offsetting industry about how appropriate offsetting is. And really what we should be doing is, um, reduction. And certainly I think that's the science-based targets suggest that at least by 2050, we need to reduce the carbon emissions by sort of 70 to 90%, I think it is, rather than just offset them. And then the offsetting, there's arguments within the offsetting of do you plant trees, which is one of the things we do, but there are some tree planting schemes that frankly, slightly scan like and greenwashing and some that are much more thorough and, and thought through. And again, there's advice from the associations on the type of offsetting. But ideally, the trouble with planting trees is that they offset the emission you're making now over the next 40 years. Ideally, you'd be offsetting them immediately. We, that's carbon capture. So there are carbon capture schemes that we're looking into. They're much more nascent, so they're early stage. But the only way that you get nascent technologies to being mainstream technologies is to invest in them when they're early stage. They cost a lot more money. But... That is the only way that they'll be able to scale up is if they get people early stage helping them out. So we're looking also at how much money we can potentially put into that as both as a company and potentially as an industry to help that technology move along, because that will be a a major significant way of reducing carbon as it hits the atmosphere. And we know it's going to hit. So let's do what we can to take it out if we can. And has this been a initiative that you've factored into that from a, a company culture that the entire team uh, is behind this from the get go? Like, look, this this is as you said, we're not just here to make money. We we can we can make money, but we can also do good. And this is one of the principles that the company is focusing on on doing good. So is it is it baked into your cultural DNA at this point? Yes, I mean, obviously, there are some people in the industry uh, in the company who are more uh, passionate about it than others. Some people who are more passionate about things like DNI. We do some pro bono work as well, and we're involved in other charitable stuff. As as I know, uh, lots of companies are. There's there's a group of us, and that includes me, who are passionate about the sustainability thing. Everyone would know about it. So, what part of becoming a B Corp for, for me is saying that as a company, if you want to join this company, if you want to be part of this company, we are not just about business we are not just about growth we're not just about profit all of those things are important but also our impact on the world around us is really important it's important to us as a company it's important to us as a culture and so i think we attract and retain people who think that is also important to them and probably consequently we don't attract people who are have a a, a much more single-minded pure growth business approach to them and they'd more like to be more cutthroat about things so I, 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 that people know about it and it's baked into our DNA. So it just, it attracts and retains that type of person. Do you think that, so that that's maybe an interesting sidebar, you know, we're going through this great resignation phenomenon, uh, and certainly our industry has not been spared from that. It, it is happening, although I don't think it's happening at quite the level that it is in, in others. 
But have you seen that focus on values and principles helping to really be a retention driver within the team more so than other companies that maybe are just, you know, solely profit focused and people don't find that connection to them? I think so. I think so. It's difficult to know what's happening sure. in other companies, obviously. Yep. Uh, yep. What we are finding is that we, I mean, we're growing, we're hiring, and we're finding that the talent pool is strong at the moment. We are finding our our attention is very strong, is very good. So when we haven't seen a particular uptick in people leaving voluntarily over the last year, so we, we look like we're in a good place. For me, there are probably two key aspects to it from a Zappi perspective. One is the culture, that culture that we were talking about in terms of what the company is about, what it's trying to do. The other thing is at a much more individual level, which is allowing people to grow, experiment, have the autonomy to pursue what they're passionate about. And, and that's very important within Zappi. We, we want ideas to come from anywhere. Um, we want people to be able to go, I think we should be doing that and try it experiment with it. Uh, we have a mantra, which is kill, scale, or amend, and, and people should just experiment and try something out. And if it doesn't work, great, kill it. That's not a problem at all. And if it does work, brilliant, scale it. Uh, but the worst thing to do is amend. It means you haven't designed your experiment very well, and you're constantly just you know, messing around on something. Um, and so we really actively encourage experimentation and autonomy within the business and within people. So we give people, we hope, the opportunity to grow within the company rather than feeling that they need to move somewhere else in order to be able to grow or, or try try something out. Now, as a founder, you think back, you had another company uh, before Zappi. This was not your first rodeo by any stretch of imagination, but when you began this journey as an entrepreneur uh, and a founder, the ideas that we're talking about of, of building a organization with values and principles and doing good was that part of the motivation or was it in the back of your mind or has this been an evolutionary process for you as the company has grown you realize oh holy crap we can do these things too what's that journey been like for you so so i think i've i've known it's always been important and not just for, as a founder but as an, an employee when i've been in previous companies so i i was part of a company in asia that i thought was brilliantly run i I love my boss. I love the way the company worked. I thought it was a wonderful place to be, but I've also had my share of being in places that were hierarchical. You were stifled or told what to do and didn't agree with them and you couldn't voice yourself. And, you know, so we've had, we've all had those experiences, I think. So when you're founding a company, of course, that drives the direction you want to take and the type of place you want to build and the type of atmosphere you want to be in. The thing that's been very different for me with Zappi, probably two aspects to it. One is it's a technology company, not a market research company. I'm a market researcher. I know market research really well. I don't know technology very well, despite the fact that I sent myself a learn to code in a day course. I spent an entire day learning to code. And they so say, you'd think by now I'd be an expert, but, but no, it appears I'm not. So the idea that I would be able to tell them what to do is, is completely obviously stupid. So as much autonomy as you can give is the, the solution to that. When you have people with brilliant skills across a whole range of areas, you want them to be able to utilize them. And, and then, then other aspects of the culture, again, coming from the technology side, but, but also the size as Zappi has grown, it's not 
been possible for me to, in any sense, manage the culture of all of the different people in the, in the, in the company. And so, and also a lot of the ideas are coming from other founders. Um, so Zappi and Intellection were two different companies and we ended up merging. They were the technology company and the founders from Intellection came in with a lot of different ideas as well, particularly about how, how you run an, a, a brilliant uh, technology organization. And so it's really been a, a, a melding of those ideas and a sort of uh, a, a natural growing from, from all of the people within the company. So I wouldn't say in any sense that it's my culture. It's definitely Zappi's culture and Zappi, of course, I've had an influence on it, but I'm just one of the people that's had an influence on it. Yeah, I, I really do sound like a fanboy now, which is just odd because we're friends, but we, we have not delved into these ideas. And I just think that's an incredibly enlightened, for lack of a better term, um, way to think about of being a steward, a, a key influencer, if you will, an enabler. Maybe that's even a better way to think about it, of individual level growth versus your own key vision. And I even am just thinking about you know, other companies that have achieved uh, significant scale, not even in our space, just outside of our space, some of the tech companies. And and I imagine that some of those successful founders would have a similar outlook compared to maybe some of the others that, you know, the train wrecks that we're all aware of, companies that scaled up really quickly and became billion dollar unicorns and then realized, oh, wow, their founders are real assholes and everybody hates them. And, <laughs> no idea who you're thinking of. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there was I, a movie about one recently, yeah, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think on that, Lenny, that's a good point. Cause I, we do read a lot as well. So a lot of our culture, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix deck, um, the Netflix culture deck from 2008, 2009, uh, it went through Silicon Valley. It was described by the one who used to run HP is the most important document that had been in Silicon Valley in the last 10 years. We read that, that was a big influence. Lots of other things were a big influence. One of what you talk about leadership, we, there's a concept someone else named that we've adopted as well of servant leadership. And it's the idea that leadership isn't about necessarily just telling people where to go and what to do. It's often about serving them so that they can become better and they can make the best decisions because you want them being able to make decisions rather than them coming to you for decisions because they're the people who know what's happening on the ground better so if you've got someone running um i don't know a, a category or a or a, a country or someone managing a particular category of um client in in an area so they're running a telecom unit within tappy Obviously, they know telecom better than I do, or, or anyone else does. So obviously, they're best positioned to make the decisions about where to go, and what products to do, and how to work with the clients. You're there to help them. You're there to enable them. You're there to give them advice, which they can then ignore. Um, though some of those ideas do absolutely come from other places that we're very interested in learning about. I love that. I love that. That's actually, I've even thought about that often as a parent. Uh, to instill within our family, as well as in the business, this idea that it's about being of service. My kids ask me, what do you do for a living, daddy? I say, I help people. And because ultimately that is, that is how I view my role in life, regardless of the, the specific application, right? Whether it be work, whether it be as a parent, whether it be as a sibling, a friend, a neighbor. And I think, as you said it, that 
often means not doing for, but enabling others to do for themselves, giving them the appropriate resources so that they can succeed. And uh, what a powerful concept. It feels right as a human. I, I think the, the primary part of my role is, is trying to set the vision, not how we get there. I think lots of other people are better at, at doing that. So I, I'm trying to say where I'd like the company to be three, four, five years down the line. Mm-hmm. And once you set that and, and let people free, they'll hopefully get there in the smartest way that we can get there. So I think that's the primary role. It is what increasingly the sort of direction that technology companies are, are, are taking. It's also difficult. I recognize particularly as a founding entrepreneur that suddenly you're having major decisions being made that you might not even be consulted about that you might disagree with. Jeff Bezos has, has a phrase that we, again, again, we've stolen, which is disagree and commit. So in, in typical companies, sometimes you'll disagree with something and then you'll moan or bitch about it from the sidelines. The idea is you're disagreeing with someone, but you're going to help them make it work, whatever, because that's the best thing for the company. Yeah. Uh, so there are those types of ways of, of thinking about it. We touched on that, obviously, the, the pandemic helped accelerate uh, maybe some of the thinking or at least the execution by default of your plans from a, uh, from a carbon, reducing your carbon footprint. As we come out of that, think hopefully knock on wood, um, <laughs> we keep thinking that the, the light is at the end of the tunnel and it looks like, a, you know, another train comes down, but I think maybe this time we're actually really are coming out of it. How do you continue to implement, uh, a lot of the policies that we had to do just out of default, like travel, right? Travel was limited, right? Not having a big office because everybody working from home, you know, those things. What does that look like going forward as we try and find a little more balance between more of a traditional, you know, view of, of how businesses function and, and build and scale and this new idea of, wait, there's things that we learned from here that maybe we were forced to because we had to, but it's actually really good and we're going to keep these things in place. What does that look like for you? Yeah, it's, it's something, frankly, that we're all struggling with, I think. What is what is the new world of work? What does the office look like? When do we get together? When do we not get together? I think we decided that we would embrace a, a hybrid approach where we are not getting rid of our offices, but I'm sure we're not expanding them. We said to people, you can work wherever you like. Now, some of our job descriptions when we're hiring say, we would prefer you to be in this geographic location, but that location is expanded, right? So it wouldn't be London, it would be the UK. But some of the roles are just, we don't care where you are. We absolutely believe that getting together face-to-face is important. It, it builds a level of trust. And we, we have the, the core of our sort of culture we describe as being founded on trust and truth. The company trusts people and people trust, I hope, the company. And truth is not just about telling the truth, it's about getting to the truth and getting to the underlying element behind, you know, asking five whys, what's behind the the simple answer or the simple question. And that trust, I think, is a bank and you have to keep on making deposits into that bank. Uh, You make withdrawals and you make deposits. And those deposits often happen over a cup of coffee in a sitting in a, it could be a Starbucks, it could be an office, it could be somewhere where we chat about family or we chat about what's not working in our lives or what's not working at work, but we can also talk about work. And it's those conversations, it might be a beer in the evening, you know, those conversations are really important. They build trust. 
they build trust between people. So we know that that's important. Does that happen, have to happen in an office at nine o'clock on a Monday morning? No, of course it doesn't. Does it have to happen five days a week? No, of course it doesn't. So we will get people together and we will continue to get people together, but we won't do it, I don't think, in the way that we did probably three years ago. So it, it won't be naturally office-based. It will be sometimes office-based. That will require some travel, but we've got to be careful about that. The second thing I think is changing the way we do mainstream work to making it more possible to do more asynchronous work. So obviously Zoom is, is one way of going about, but we have people all over the world. Zoom fatigue is real, but tools like whether it's Miro or, or just frankly, getting better at, at, at utilizing tools that are already there and saying, let's work on this idea or at which I'm going to express through a document asynchronously. I need 10 people inputting into it. We use sort of fun retro boards for doing retrospectives on, on, on projects. Again, those can be worked on asynchronously. And so it's embedding all of this, these new ways of working, none of which are a magic bullet, but put them all together and you get a pretty decent way of running a company, I think. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think we've been mirroring that same, uh, that same idea. It's cool that the tools have caught up now to enable us to be more effective in who yeah. knows things, but like you. Certainly agree. There is a time and a place for in-person and meeting face-to-face. -face, and uh, I think we're all looking forward to that as, as things progress. So, but that hybrid model is, I think, what makes sense. So just to kind of wind things up a little bit. Now you are incredibly well-read. Our listeners can't see this, but there's bookcases behind both Steve and I, and his bookcase is far more impressive than mine. Um, I've always been kind of jealous of it because he has this cool ladder. So to go up to the top and it's, it, I've always, it looks, it looks good, Lenny. It doesn't mean I've read any of it. <laughs> well, that's the question. So, <laughs> uh, cause obviously you are well read overall, or at least uh cliff notes, right? What content are you really following right now that you are reading that you think this is just incredibly fascinating and impactful and you're just addicted to? Uh, to be honest, on the on the business side, it's much more podcasts. I, I do a lot of cycling, and when I cycle, I have these special off ear, just for safety conscious of us out there, um, bone channeling headphones, and I listen to podcasts. So I, at the moment, I'm uh, listening on a series Exponential. I don't know if you've come across the Exponential podcast, Azim Azar. Br brilliant interview, some of the most um, respected people in AI, but also in just thinking about economies, thinking about business. So there was just one with Yanis Varoufakis, who was the Greek uh, finance minister, who's also just a just a brilliant speaker, just really fascinating. But also, I've uh, just listened to one about an AI researcher and, and where they are with AI and machine learning. So that type of podcast, I like the keen on one. Yeah, so, so it's probably podcasts that I listen to more from a from a just expansive thinking about business and then if i'm i have a pile of business books on my desk that i need to get around to reading there's one on building a brilliant product team which not only did i read but then i i half forced the rest of the company to read it as well uh, i have a bit of a book club exactly so 
um, when someone comes across something, they'll, they'll share it around and then we'll have a nice discussion about it. That's another thing that we do to try and expand everyone's mind. Now, a few years ago, you introduced me to a blog. Um, so Wait, but why? Wait, but why? Wait. Yes. So, which was fantastic as well. But what what happened? I just realized I haven't gotten an alert from them of new uh, new content in quite some time. And he's um, writing a book. He's putting it all okay. together into a, into a book, as far as I know. Okay. All right. But Wait, But Why was incredibly fascinating. It's uh, brilliant. I would thoroughly recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, actually one that I just discovered on YouTube called The Theory of Everything with Kirk Jaimungal. Uh, okay. Uh, so he is a mathematician and, and uh, physicist by training and just has these fascinating conversations with everybody from everything from, you know, UFOs to consciousness to AI to you know, yeah, just yeah, across yeah. the board and just in a very, very grounded way. So there's one that, that I've been paying attention to. Now, that is interesting because I was never a podcast listener until really probably the last year. And mm. like we, you listen while cycling, I've gotten in the habit of listening to two podcasts or webcasts in the background while I'm working. Yeah. So when I'm not in a meeting and it really is addictive and <laughs> it, you know, feeding the beast, I guess, of my brain in a way that I was having challenges doing just in the run of, of just working all the time, mm. right? Working parenthood when you have a chance to sit and read or, or listen. And that's been highly effective. Is that something you support as a business within the team to be able to folks to pursue those interests and say, Hey, you know, here's things you said, you got a book club, follow these things, pay attention, you know, incorporate this into your, in your daily routine. Yeah, very much. So, so we have a pretty much an open budget for people to spend on any form of learning so we have people pursuing degrees in things masters in things and we're very supportive of that all, all the way to do just doing courses on coursera or so you know there's that old adage of if a company doesn't support someone doing training they'll go somewhere else you want your people to get better you want them engaged you want yep. people learning and trying new things and it's it's nowadays it's not terribly expensive to support that so it's sort of a no-brainer to be honest Yep. Steve, uh, you and I can go on for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> our listeners may not appreciate that as much as you and I would enjoy it. So thank you. It, it, it really is interesting after all of these years of us knowing each other and talking regularly from a business standpoint, that we've touched on topics that we never have. So I feel like I know you better now. So it, you know, it really is a pleasure. I'm glad we got to spend this time together. Where can our listeners find you? Anything final thoughts you'd like to convey to them? The floor is yours. Thank you. Yeah, so it's steve at zappystore.com uh, or, or just find me on LinkedIn. I, the, a couple of things, I, I, I mean, I'd love to hear from people in the industry anyway, particularly if you're interested in sustainability, get in touch. We can help you think through the best way of approaching it. And and secondly, if you've got any book ideas or uh, podcast ideas or great <laughs> learning ideas, I'm also always um, open to those. So please do, uh, please do drop me a note. All right. That's great. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on all the success across the board. I think that this will be an amazing year for the industry and that you and Zappy will play a big, very visible part of that. Thank you, audience. We appreciate you tuning in as we keep experimenting with this format. We've got more uh, Green Book podcasts coming uh, down the pike soon. And 
I think each one keeps getting better and better. Uh, so Steve, let's bring you back to help raise the bar again later on. Delighted. Delighted, okay. Lenny. Right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Steve. Be well. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.